Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise in new life in you. Amen. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. He had been eating with the Gentiles before certain people came from James. But when they came, he began to back out and separate himself because he was afraid of the people who promoted circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they weren't acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of everyone, if you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you require the Gentiles to live like Jews? We were born Jews, we're not Gentile sinners. However, we know that a person isn't made righteous by the works of the law, but rather through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We ourselves believed in Christ Jesus so that we could be made righteous by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because no one will be made righteous by the works of the law. But if it is discovered that we ourselves are sinners, while we are trying to be made righteous in Christ, then is Christ a servant of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild the very things that I tore down, I show that I myself am breaking the law. I died to the law, through the law, so that I could live it for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't ignore the grace of God, because if we become righteous through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of God for the people of God. So our series during Easter, this season after Easter, is from death into life, recognizing that there are certain places where we are living out of a set of practices and habits that are um, death-dealing, and that there is something from the gospel, from the resurrection, that can bring new life into our lives. That that Easter isn't something that happened 2,000 years ago, but that every day and in every way, um, God is calling us to come out of those places uh, where things are death-dealing and walk into the new places of new life. So each week we're taking two pairs and putting them together. Uh, This week we're looking at the uh, recognition that our world likes to live out of hypocrisy, We say one thing, do the other, and that life comes from living authentically, uh, warts and mistakes and all. Now, um, I found it interesting as I was researching for this sermon, uh, can you believe that there was a teacher uh, in um, the state of Texas, uh, I I love teachers, this isn't about teachers, it's about hypocrisy, but okay, Um, that for 17 years taught in high school 
and did not know how to read and write. So this uh, gentleman, uh, John, um, he, uh, all throughout grade school, he never learned to read or write. Um, he uh, continued to kind of uh, keep the scam going on. He made it into uh, college, um, and he had mastered a set of skills um, to kind of cover his, um, uh, cover his tracks. He said, of course, I started cheating by turning in other people's papers, but then in college I dated the valedictorian and I ran around with a bunch of uh, prep kids who knew what they were doing. I couldn't read words, but I could certainly read them and understand how they were making it happen. So uh, on athletic scholarship to a college in Texas, he cheated his way through uh, getting a, a degree in education and then somehow got a job as a teacher and for the next 17 years in high school without, uh, taught high school without being able to read or write. He says, what I did was I created an oral and visual environment that gave me all the cues that I needed. And I made sure that I had assistant teachers and TAs that would grade right on the board and interact with the students. He says, but finally, it became a real bankrupt experience for me. And so he left, and he became a real estate developer. Uh, and later in his life, uh, as he began to read and write, um, he started um, a nonprofit to advocate for better educational systems. You know, what's interesting, outside of the absurdity, right, um, what's interesting is we know a little bit of what it's like to be John right? I mean, there's something that people expect us to do, and we're not really sure how to do it, but we've pulled the wool over their eyes, and we have made them think that we know what we're doing. And, and you know, it's, it, there's so much water under the bridge, why go back now? I mean, I'm, I'm teaching high school, why tell people now that I'm illiterate, right? Well, you know, um, if, if they expect it from me, well, I better give it to them, right? I, I, I would say that preachers never struggle with this problem, but you would know that uh, I'd be wrong, right? This ability to cover over, to hide, to become secret about. Uh, essentially, what it is is we put on a mask and play a part, but have no idea what it is to be that, which is interesting because it ties into our scripture passage this morning. If you've been reading along, which we have a, a Bible challenge where you can read along daily, uh, any, uh, if uh, you can fill out on the registration pads, there's that little square uh, that says Bible challenge. If you'll fill it out, place, uh, mark how you want to be followed up with. Uh, we will follow up with you by text, email, phone call, uh, or even get a group for you to read with together uh, as we read together uh, the book of Galatians. When we look at our passage here, Paul is telling the Galatians, right? Remember last week we talked about um, popularity polls uh, versus convictions, right? And people were accusing Paul that he was watering down the gospel and making it easier for people to please people as opposed to holding them to the very hard accountability of the law, right? And there was that little word uh, that I told you you could go home and look up because I wasn't going to talk about it, it was circumcision. That was, that was what they thought Paul was saying you didn't have to be. Um, but when Paul uh, reads the gospel and understands what Jesus commands him to do, he says that you don't have to first become a Jew to then become a Christian, that you could just let Jesus forgive you of your sins and uh, be Lord of your life. So the conversations continued here. 
he tells a story about what happened in Antioch. Uh, now, Antioch sounds like a tiny little town in, you know, I don't know, uh, eastern Tennessee. Uh, but Antioch was the third largest uh, city uh, in the Roman Empire. Um, it was uh, a metroplex, uh, a hub of uh, economic uh, work. Uh, it was also a place where people came in contact with people from all over the Roman Empire. And so, interestingly enough, this is a place where the Jewish community was very large in Antioch. And so Cephas, which you know who Cephas is, Cephas was Peter, right? Peter, the, uh, the disciple, right? Um, uh, Call to me, Jesus, and I will walk on the water out to you. And then he sinks halfway. Oh, no, uh, Lord, I would never deny um, uh, you. Oh, yes, you will three times before the rooster crows. That, that Peter is who we're talking about here when it says uh, Cephas. So Cephas uh, comes from the home office back in Jerusalem to Antioch out on the edge of the frontier, and he, he comes to say, hey, we, we need to be careful about appearances. Uh, if y'all hang out with those Gentiles for too long and too often, if you eat with them regularly, which um, the church in Antioch had a one-table uh, policy, right, that we all eat together at one table. It was a great expression um, that in Christ uh, there was no um, uh, slave nor free, no male nor female, that we were all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and so uh, Peter comes and says, hey, the optics here are really bad, right? Um, so if you're eaten with the Gentiles, which remember the, uh, the Greek word for Gentile was goim, and goim translates literally to um, uh, trash or dirty, right? So, so don't you be eaten with those dirty folk at the same table because it makes us look bad. And, and, and you know, the funders back at the home office, they, they want a real clean pristine kind of an image. Now, the early church in Antioch had found this wonderful opportunity because there was such a metropolitan experience that people uh, cross paths with other people that the Jewish synagogue had actually begun to attract Gentiles, Greek Gentiles. Uh, th they called them God-fearers. And, and they, they were um, aspiring to be Jewish. This is fascinating because Judaism was very much an ancestrage, but also a faith commitment. And so here Antioch is doing such a great job of talking about the presence of God, the living God that we know through the Old Testament, that they are uh, gathering with them some folk who were fearing God. And so when the early church shows up preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is a rich opportunity for evangelism. But it's quite hard to evangelize someone whom you referred to as dirty or trash. Hence the one table, right? And so Paul takes Peter to task and says, you know, you're just really a hypocrite. You are wearing, which the Greek word for hypocrite, um, I don't pronounce, it's all Greek to me, I don't pronounce Greek well. Um, but take, it, take my word for it, that um, the word for hypocrite, uh, a hypocrite in the Greek is literally to describe a person who would be in a drama troupe, uh, who, uh, an actor or actress, who would wear a mask and play a part. So when Paul says to Peter, to Cephas, you're just playing a part, you're trying to please the folk back at the home office, and what we have here is an opportunity to talk about the gospel, and you're, you're complicating that opportunity to talk about the gospel. 
Paul goes on to say to the Galatians that it is not by law or by our own works that we have um, achieved uh, this kind of relationship with Jesus, but it is because of God's great love that we find in Jesus that we are saved from our sins and find ourselves within the fold. It wasn't circumcision, it wasn't eating clean food, it wasn't about who we hung out with or what we did or what church we went to, but it was literally because of the work of Jesus in our lives. There's nothing that we can claim except for the fact that we accepted the gift. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. Uh, it's fair to say that it wasn't by birth or by law, but by grace. Uh, Paul says it's not by performance or prestige, but it's by grace that it wasn't about us being flawless on, on our own, but rather us being a work in progress, saved not by our hard effort, but by grace. But an interesting word for us to hear today, uh, the Pew Research Center, one of the um, really uh, good uh, research uh, programs uh, in the United States, uh, loves to do demographics and opinion polls. The Pew Research Center says that when you pull people outside the church who don't attend, they say that they don't attend church because people inside church are uh, judgmental, hypocritical, and anti-gay. Judgmental and hypocritical. Uh, um, over the last five years, that's been clearly established that the problem isn't that they don't like our view of the Trinity. The problem isn't that they don't like whether we ordain women or men. The problem isn't how we baptize and when we baptize, whether we dunk, spray, or um, sprinkle. But it comes down to the fact that they think we are judgmental and hypocritical. In fact, Stephen Colbert, right, always listen to the comedians when you're looking at societal issues because they'll tell you the truth, but they make you laugh, and that's why you don't get angry with them. Stephen Colbert says, if this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition, and then admit that we just don't want to do it. Right, right, uh, uh, Colbert is addressing the issue of how we care for the poor, but I think hypocrisy and judgmentalism probably plays into why we have a, such a struggle with caring for the poor. I've noticed in this election cycle that authenticity is such an interesting word, right? Everyone apparently wants to be authentic, whether you're Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders, whether you're Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, everybody wants to be authentic, a, a man of the people, a, 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 um, a what is it, um, uh, we're with her, right? Well, you, you don't hang out with someone unless you authentically know who they are. This is that desire to be authentic. What's funny is that presidential elections for the last 25 years have been about who can establish themselves as an outsider, right? I, I mean, think about it, right? Ronald Reagan, right? I've I don't even know my way around Washington, right? Um, when you uh, pay attention to this year's uh, so, uh, cycle, Chris Christie says that he's the ultimate outsider because he was a conservative governor in a liberal state. He says, every morning I wake up and I'm an outsider in my own room, right? We all want to be outsiders. Uh, Marco Rubio was such an outsider that he uh, missed 10 times as many votes as the average congressperson. And in trying to be an outsider, he just looked like he was out of touch. 
when Jimmy Carter went to run for uh, the presidency, right? He didn't say he was the governor of Georgia. He didn't say that he uh, went to such and such school or has such and such pedigree. What did he say? He says, I'm a peanut farmer. Everybody wants to look authentic. And these days, everybody wants to look like an outsider. In the same breath, we want to know how normal our politicians are. We want to know what's on their playlist, what TV shows they watch, what books they read. We want to know that they came from humble beginnings, just like us, and maybe they're just a little bit smarter or work a little bit harder or a little bit more connected. But at the end of the day, they're just like us, a peanut farmer. Authenticity. We are dying from hypocrisy. We are dying from wearing a mask and looking like we've got it all together. Uh, Carrie Newhoff uh, has written extensively in the past about the fact that the current modern American church looks more like Pharisees than like Jesus. Let, let me just give you a couple of pointers. Um, so um, how many times have we said to ourselves, we follow the rules? It sounds good, but if it's smug and judgmental that we're following the rules, it might be that we're just a good Pharisee. Um, you shouldn't hang around people like that. They, they're going to rub off on you. Those are sinners. You need to stay separate. That's interesting. Jesus didn't really ever stay separate. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. When was the last time you hang out with a tax collector? Okay, don't answer that. <laughs> God listens to my prayers. I mean, do you hear the, uh, the story of uh, the Pharisee uh, who stands in the front of the synagogue uh, praying to God and the um, poor gentleman who's in the back who just says, Lord, have mercy on me? You know, prayer isn't a button we push that allows for the vending machine of God to rain down good blessings for us because we sat in a sanctuary the Sunday prior. But oftentimes when you look at the Bible, uh, prayer is about a relationship, most often a relationship uh, about broken people uh, grabbing on to the amazing love, forgiveness, and mercy of God that is a mystery to those who pray that God would love them. Sure, I have a few issues, but that's between me and God. Do you remember Jesus leveled against the Pharisees that you are like whitewashed tombs, perfect and beautiful on the outside, but full of dying bones on the inside? What good does it get us if we say, yeah, I've got it all together, but what I don't have together is between me and God? I don't know about you, but that doesn't really communicate to me that you've really figured out this relationship with God that if we don't share uh, where we are a work in progress, if we don't share where we have some scars and bruises, if we don't let people know that we are about as normal as the rest of the world, we just happen to have accepted a gift of love from God, then it sure sounds like we're Pharisees, perfect on the outside and dead on the inside. Well, you know, those people just need to work harder you know, I love the idea of working hard in the Bible, but there are some people who um, have been victims of society, and a little bit of compassion by the church might help. You know, all throughout the early church, compassion marked who we were. We were those who would feed the homeless, who would shelter the homeless, who would care for the sick and for the dying. To round it up, uh, people who don't go to church well, they can come if they want to, but I'm not changing. That seemed to be a hallmark of uh, effective churches, right? 
I mean, John Wesley even uh, went out and stood on his uh, father's gravestone and preached there. He says, I um, conspired to be more vile than before and preached outside of doors. I know these days we don't mind uh, preaching outside. Um, We love the idea of Easter sunrise, the holiest, most exciting day of the year. We'll go outside for it. It's not a big deal to us, but to that day, if you preached anywhere other than in a pulpit in a church, it was strange. But why did Wesley do it? He says, because he could see the men and women and their children walking to the coal mines early in the morning on Sundays They didn't have the luxury of taking a day off from work and sitting in the pews and hearing about Jesus. So he took Jesus to them. You know, uh, um, Nero wasn't a a Pharisee, but he did fiddle while Rome burned. It may be important for us to give up our separation between good and holy and dirty and uh, trash and instead find ourselves living and dreaming and talking about the gospel together. The world's looking for authenticity. They don't want to know how well you can use church language. They don't want to know how well I can talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. What they want to know is that we, uh, when cut, we bleed. Uh, when hurt, we become sad. But at the end of the day, we know about a God who loves us deeply. And it's not like a, a special treat, like we found Waldo and they didn't but rather it's an opportunity to share what we found. I I love the story from uh, History Channel. Uh, The History Channel has a show about um, uh, a pawn store in uh, Las Vegas, right? Y'all are familiar? And so people bring things in and they get, um, um, let's see, uh, assessed, uh, evaluated to see what they are. So this one guy buys a piece of property in Nevada and it has a barn on it. And he goes into the barn, he's looking through the barn, he finds a chest and in the chest, he opens up the chest and in the chest he finds this beautiful violin. He turns it over, and it's inscribed with the word Stradivarius. It's getting good, isn't it, right? And so he takes the Stradivarius violin to the pawn shop. I'm not so sure that would have been my choice, but okay, right? It's a TV show. And um, the TV show hires somebody to come and analyze and evaluate the authenticity of the violin. Now, I just want to say, I'm not very good at classical music or violin, but I remember uh, seeing a video of uh, Itzhak Perlman, right, virtuoso violin player, um, as he's playing um, uh, in front of a packed crowd, I believe this was at the Houston, um, uh, in Houston, let's leave it there and I won't butcher the story anymore, um, in the middle of playing I don't know, like a Tchaikovsky beautiful, you know, violin uh, piece as a solo, a string breaks. Now you and me, we'd say, thanks a lot, friends. I'm glad you're here. Be sure to pick up a t-shirt on the way out. But he said, wait just a minute. And he thought for a moment. He closed his eyes. And in his head, he transposed the music so that he could play the piece. And if you hadn't seen the string break, you'd assume it was just the way it was intended to be. Now, Itzhak Perlman is um, uh, privileged to be able to play on a Stradivarius. So when the um, uh, evaluator of authenticity for the uh, pawn shop 
TV show, can't believe I'm putting all these words together, um, evaluated this man's uh, violin. He says, I'm so sorry to tell you that it's a really cheap fake that was made in the 1900s, and it's worth about a couple of hundred dollars versus the millions of dollars that a Stradivarius would be worth. And the evaluator said, just because it has a label doesn't mean it actually is. And isn't that the challenge for us today? Just because we carry the label of Christian doesn't mean we've figured it all out. Just because we carry the label church doesn't mean we actually live out those gospel principles. Just because we have the label doesn't mean it is. Could it be possible that just because those outside the church label us as judgmental and hypocritical, that it's just a perception that the label doesn't work for who we are? Maybe we need to do a little bit of transposing. Maybe we need to put ourselves into the hands of the master, the person who can pull from us that beautiful music, even if we're not a Stradivarius. We're dying from hypocrisy. We have our masks on. We're so beautifully constructed. We have persuaded everyone that we are holier than thou. But we're dying inside. What we need is some authenticity. The recognition that the God that we serve isn't looking for perfect. It's just looking for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.